When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Until you change your mentality and your mindset and learn how to navigate throughout life, you will be in different environments, but you will still make the same decisions and the same choices and carry with you the same spirit. You have to understand every next level of your life demands a new version of you. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. My name is Andrew Brockenbush, producer of the show, joined by Marcus and Morgan Latrell, two of the most badass podcasters on the planet. Welcome back to another episode, guys. And good to be here, Andrew. Good to be here, Brockenbush. I gotta take a second. I've been seeing on Facebook and stuff that people don't know who's all on the show anymore. We've had a little bit of show changes. So again, my name's Andrew, the producer of the show. I've actually been a part of the Team Never Quit team for, I guess, since day one. Yep. And then we've also got Morgan, which is Marcus's twin brother. Hello. And he's on the mic. And we're Hi. doing this thing every week for you guys. I'm here. Team Never Quits Big. We sound like, Mar- yeah. people may be confused. They think they just hear Marcus, but there's actually two. We sound alike. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. People are like, who's that one guy that doesn't talk often? That's me. And then who's the other, like, why is Marcus the only one talking? So it's like, I don't they can't think pick people up, They can't differentiate know. between our voices, I think. I know y'all. Tell you, that's why you need to do the voice. This summer. That's it. My name is Andrew Brockenbush. <laughs> Anytime you chime up, you gotta hear that. All right, guys. No, I mean like literally every time. Every, every time. <laughs> well, like we always do every single week, we're bringing you guys a listener story straight from the audience, straight from you guys, our team. And today's story is brought to you by Cole. And the, 
the name of this story is Flesh Wound. Good title. Some of these stories, I mean, you, you know, you're writing them in, and, 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 and literally because it's from the team, a lot of movie scripts. I mean, you could put them all together and have the most complete drama slash action shows combined. It's pretty cool. Cole says, on August 3rd, 2017, I was finishing up my first week of grad school at the University of Tennessee in a city that was 800 miles away from home, where I only knew a handful of people by name. As I strapped my helmet on for a bike ride to campus that morning, I had no way of knowing that my life was about to change forever. About a half mile from my apartment, I started down a steep grade, hit my brakes, and the lights went out. When the park's maintenance crew found me, I was carrying my mangled bicycle off the road as the blood poured from a two-inch gash in my forehead. The only thing I remember from that morning was being asked why I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and having to think really hard to come up with the correct answer. I regained awareness in the UT Medical Center trauma bay where my clothes were being cut off of me, and the nurses were taking every precaution to keep from jostling the gurney that I was lying on. The first thing I said after regaining awareness, I don't mean to freak anyone out, but I think my neck is broken. Everyone and everything stopped. The crowd of nurses and doctors backed away, and two men stepped up to my gurney. Wes and Kermit were their names. They were both about 250-plus pounds and looked like professional bodybuilders. Their job was to get me into the backboard and neck brace as gently and quickly as possible so I could be transported to the CT scanner for further evaluation. After four separate CT scans, the doctors came into my hospital room to report that I broke my C2 vertebrae in my neck. It was putting pressure on my spinal cord and that I would require immediate surgery. A few moments later, a separate doctor came back in. This time, the expression was a bit more somber. Cole, you also broke four vertebrae in your lumbar region. I responded with silence. He continued, This is usually the point where people break down and start crying. That's okay to do. I'm alive and that's all I care about right now, I said with a forced smile on my face. I later found out that the quick release of my bicycle's front tire had come loose. When I hit the brakes going downhill at 20 miles an hour, I was propelled over the handlebars and into the pavement where my face and neck kept the rest of my body from getting really hurt. When all was said and done, I had broken my nose, C2 in my neck, L4-7 in my back, required 17 stitches in my head, degloved my jaw, and knocked out a few teeth. I would have to undergo an immediate surgery to fuse the vertebrae in my neck, and I would need to have the flesh of my chin stitched back into my jawbone. I was honestly embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I was causing my parents so much stress from 800 miles away, and I was embarrassed that all of these people that I barely knew from my graduate department at UT had to make time in their schedules to help me. I was terrified of being a victim, and my response to the events that transpired on this day were overwhelmingly positive. I made it to a point to repeatedly tell everyone, including myself, that I was fine, even when I wasn't. I forced myself to proceed with graduate school as if nothing ever happened and to remain as positive and kind to others as possible. I started teaching and taking classes in a C-collar two weeks after my surgery with frequent nauseating migraines and severe pack pain. Shortly after I was cleared back to normal activity three months later, I signed up for the Knoxville Marathon. The fight was over, but I still felt like I had something to prove, and I needed to get fit once again. I thought that I was proving to everyone that breaking my body would not define me. Really, I think I was just trying to prove that to myself. When I finished that marathon six months after my accident, I promptly signed up for the Firewater 50K where I won outright and broke the course record by 35 minutes. Then the Lookout Mountain 50 miler in December 2018 where I finished in just over 11 hours. I am now training for the Yeti 100 miler on September 27, 2019, and I have plans of meeting the marathon Olympic time trial standard for the LA 2028 Olympics. I have fallen in love with the sport of running on accident. If people take anything away from my story, it is that sometimes a positive attitude is all it takes to turn the worst day of your life into a lifelong passion and something that brings you joy on a daily basis. And maybe, just maybe, that event which seems detrimental to you at the time will turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. I wouldn't take my detrimental event back for anything. Thank you, gentlemen, for your service, and thank you for creating the TNQ platform where we can share and be motivated by some great stories. Hey, Cole, thanks so much for writing that story in and how miraculous that you, you came out of it on top and, and you survived. And not just that, but look at you now. 
beating records. Good luck, you know, on qualifying for the Olympics. That's that seems super exciting. And just the fact that you had that positive attitude through all this is is definitely a lesson to all of us here at the team. And it's something that we encourage everyone in the team to have is that positive mentality of push forward and never quit. So thanks again, Cole, for sharing your story. If there's one thing that I've learned, it's that sharing your story is a powerful thing. There are people out there that need a kick in the ass, and your story could be the one thing that changes their life forever. So why don't you take a minute to share your story at teamneverquit.com forward slash podcast. Just click on the share your story button in the menu so we can encourage you along the way. Your story just might be shared on one of our upcoming episodes. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. All right, guys, it's that time again for a Patreon question of the day. Today's Patreon question of the day comes from Patreon McKenzie. He asks, Marcus and Morgan, what is one piece of advice you would give to the next generation of warfighters, a lot of them who listen to your show? I would say if, if the military is something that you're looking forward to, the worst thing you can do is, is try to chase the war. Because oh yeah, don't do that. It'll... If you never get the opportunity, and you know, like if com- combat is your thing, like I want to be in combat, I want to see that. If that's the one thing you're going in for, and you never get it. There's no closure. It's almost like a failure. We were fortunate enough to where it was there, you know, and that's what we wanted. So we were lucky. But a piece of advice I can give the younger generation coming in that, that they hear our stories, they see what they see, and and read about the things that that a lot of our, the earlier generation in the war have done. It's not that way anymore. You know, we're on the back side of it. It's, there's a calming now. And I would hate for just keep your gaze wide and not surely focus in. Enjoy the experience of the, of the military of, and all that it has to offer, the things that you're going to learn, the things that you'll see, the people you'll meet, the travel that you'll have. And combat is just one very small aspect of it. And don't get wrapped around the axle that that's the only thing that you're going to get out of the service and your experience and your time in will be a lot more fruitful and beneficial absolutely it's forever uniform we just get to put our name on it for a little bit and then learn the skill set so it's 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 a life so you can either hang around the life for 20 30 years or you can hang around it for four all right because you're going to go in you're going to get trained up they're going to teach you how to do everything the beautiful thing about taking off the uniform is you don't take off the skill set and when we're talking about applying the overall end game to uh to combat that's more over a seal thing i mean if we're sending our boys over into combat and the whole the whole thing is going over that that's a different story if you're searching for that fight basically what we are is we get you know pimped out to go fight for other people like if there's a street gang over in in a different country that they can't handle they send us in there to take care of that it's like an extension of any other law enforcement if you will but we're just we can't police inside the grounds if you go in and you get your skill set and you, and you leave after four, five, six years and you become a sniper and a communicator and all that and you get out in the civilian world and you think, man, there's just no job for snipers out here. Well, there's no job for that the sniper headline, that, that, that title, right? But everything that you have to put into being a sniper, patience, I mean, attention to detail, all of that. 
goes into everything you apply in life. And if you have that skill set and the people you're going against doesn't, don't look at it like I'm a sniper, I can't do this. Because like, you wouldn't look at that on the battlefield. Like, I can, I can do any of this. I've been literally trained to do any of this. And I can, not only that, I can handle it if people are shooting at me and the world's falling apart. And there's no rules. You're literally taking all that skill set and getting thrown back into the into the arena where there's there's ground rules. There's not combat to where things are falling apart. So you know your how it works and you kind of got a good understanding and life is the overall battle. So every day life is going to test one of those things that you learned in the military, whether it's standing in line, whether it's getting your hair cut, whether it's whatever, being squared away. And you never stop training. You're always training the day you leave out of here. And then when you get to that to the age, which is the equivalent of rank in the military because it kind of runs the same as when you got your kids, man, you now you got your privates and your recruits, right? And you start them off. And the same thing you learn. It's, it's just a basic way of once you get taught something and you, you learn it like you do in the military and you can pass it down, that's how you know you truly know it. And when you're giving it back to your kids, you just different, do it a different way. It's not the yelling. And the reason all that applies in, in boot camp when you're coming in because some kids don't have discipline. So they need to, when you get loud, people get their attention. That's why all that happens. People see us standing in the uniforms. You think that's all we do is... I mean, that's just showing up in the morning, like you show up for breakfast and you're like, check in, make sure you, everybody's good and you can find out what you're going to do for the day because it's one big family. We operate together. Like Skipper's the old man all the way down to the youngest kid. You know, we have doctors, lawyers, guys who pass out basketballs and work in gyms, baseball players, bull riders, I mean, astronauts, you name it. It's literally a guaranteed job and a way of life. Not only that, they teach you how to survive out here in the real world. That's the deep answer. The big answer is never lose your fire and know that you're going in there and the man that goes in is not the man that's going to come out. Sometimes you spend the first part of your life trying to figure out what you're not. But it's, it's uh, the difference between us and civilians is we don't have a bad day. We just have a hard one. And when you look at it like that, it gives you a, a, a different perspective altogether. So enjoy it like a life. I mean, when you have downtime, do your downtime. When you're at work, you work hard. Never take it for granted. That's why veterans, I mean, we love you know, doing things together because we share that common bond. We left the nest and went outside and, and did something crazy together. We identify ourselves through the uniforms just like every other team environment. Mackenzie, thanks so much for the question. If you ever wanted to ask a question to the guys, Marcus, Morgan, or even myself, make sure you join us on Patreon. This is actually a, a perk that's available to every tier from $5 a month all the way up. Uh, you actually get exclusive access to the show and bonus behind-the-scenes content when you join us on Patreon. You get exclusive access to... Uh, the community where you can support others. You get rare access to Morgan, Marcus, and all of our guests. If you'd like to join us, join us at patreon.com slash teamneverquit. Let's kick this thing off. Absolutely. So, man, um, you know, first and foremost, grew up uh, inner city Atlanta, uh, right downtown, born to a mother at 16 years old, uh, taken back to the east side of Atlanta, which at the time, you know, like a lot of urban places in America, you, you name it, we had it, you know, crimes, drugs, uh, murder, gangs, we had it. And not only did we have it in our environment, I had a lot of it in my household. And I was taken back to a two-bedroom home and it was 14 of us living there. And so as a kid, it was more people in my family that had been to jail or prison and had graduated high school. And so I had this dream of going to the NFL, you know, for a number of reasons. But the first time I mentioned NFL, I followed it up with to my cousin. I was just like, man, I go to the NFL. Maybe we can get our own beds one day. You know, maybe I could pull my mother off the double shift at Wendy's. She worked the double shift at Wendy's from the time I was a kid 
until the time I went to college. Uh, maybe I can give my grandmother a better living condition, right? And so every single day I was working toward that, and we played football in the street, right? And so it was pure passion, not too much wisdom, just getting after it until one day something amazing happened, man, and the coach came down in our neighborhood, and, you know, he signed me and my cousins up to play ball, you know, and he paid for it with his own money, right? And when he did that, it exposed me to a world that I didn't know exist, right? And when he got me to this park and he started taking me on the other side of town, you know, it fueled my dreams in such a way that, you know, I had never been motivated and inspired, but also convicted in that way before, right? And so it did something for me prior to me making it to the University of Tennessee. You moved high schools, right? Absolutely. But you wanted to go back to your original high school. Absolutely. Tell our listeners about that, because I, I that I think that, that that's powerful, and, and especially because of the why. Absolutely, it was it was a game changer uh, in my life because I attended Crim High School uh, here in Atlanta, and at the time they labeled it Crime High, you know, and and it had a rep, you know, it was crime, it was violence, and people didn't really go to college from Crim, and so my mother had attended that high school. Uh, my father had attended that high school. Most of my family members and friends had attended that high school. And so when I was getting ready to go, I'll never forget, everybody would ask me the question. They would say, hey, Ink, you want to go to college? I'd say, yeah, man, I'm going to go to college. They would say, well, don't go to Crim. Like, you can't go to college from Crim. But the school was literally five minutes away from my house. And so one day I was in the car with my mother, and we were right at the stoplight in front of the school. And she looked me dead square in my eyes and her old beat up beard regal. And she looked at me and said, Hey, you want to go to college? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, we need to find a school for you to go to because nobody goes to college from Crim. And I begged her. I was like, mom, just give me a shot. I think I can make it. And she said, I can't play with your future. I said, just give me a shot. I think I can make it. And I attended Crim my freshman year. After my freshman year, my mother came up. She transferred me to Tucker High School which was a great program, by the way, great in sports, great education. And she transferred me to the school and I got there and I literally, I didn't go to class because I was so pissed, right? Because I felt like I could make it to college from Crim. And Tucker High School, I had to get, I had to get up every single morning extra early, ride with somebody across town. They would take me to a restaurant in the morning. I would have to sit in this restaurant until school opened up. When the school would open, I would have to walk up another block to the school. This was a process that I was like, man, this is whack, right? And so when I got to the school, I didn't go to class, and I begged my mother to transfer me back. And so the first transfer attempt, they blocked it, right? The coaches got her, and they guaranteed me a scholarship to Georgia. Like, if Inky plays, you guarantee him a scholarship. And I was like, Mom, I could do it from Crim. And she was like, yeah, ain't just stay and ride it out. And the second transfer attempt, I was writing the letters and everything. She was like, bumping, I'm transferring. Her. And she transferred me back my junior year. I played ball. My senior year rose around. And I was in such academic trouble that at Crim, they didn't even tell me what I needed to qualify for college. So I didn't even know really until going into my senior year. And coming into my senior year, I had to take extra courses because I was behind. Because at Tucker, I had straight S because I didn't go to class. And so they, Krim wasn't supposed to accept me, but they did. When they did, I ended up getting my scholarship and going to college from Krim. And it opened up doors. My friends went to college from Krim. Uh, my little cousins went to college. And then they ended up shutting the school down, right? Then they opened it back up two years later 
and now it's open and they don't have any sports because they said the kids were too bad and they didn't deserve it. But that was something that was very important to me. Did you have a teacher at Krim that kind of walked the line with you, helped you out, or was this all on you? No, I had a, I had a coach, man. Um, the coach that I got my senior year, and I had some teachers, but I've had to pick one person, I would say it was my coach, that came uh, my senior year, and he was Jamal Lewis's coach that played in the NFL, and he coached across town, and nobody wanted to coach us my senior year. and Every coach that tried to offer the job, he would come in, see the place, and he would leave. And so when he came, he called me, and he said, man, come and run the 40 and do some drills for me. And I came and I did the drills, and he said, son, I think you can go to college. And he said, what college do you want to go to? I said, man, I just want to go D1. And he said, I'm going to fight for you. Just give me everything you got, and I got you. And after the first couple of games, he put together a tape, and it was a process, man. He, he disciplined me. Right. I remember college coaches came to the game. I had a bad temper. Right. I was a fighter. Right. I, I came from this environment. All I knew was fight, scrap, and I had a chip on my shoulder. And when I knew he was serious with the game, college scouts came to and I was fighting the opposing team and he sat me down on the bench the whole game. Right. And there was scouts there. And I was like, coach, you got to let me play. And he was like, no, man. He was like, because your temper is going to get you killed one day. Right. This is not about sports. This is about you understanding what's important. And when he did it, that Monday morning, we were in his office, and he made me understand the importance of what he was trying to do with my life. Was he all about Tennessee? Who else came to see you? Tennessee, uh, Georgia, Mississippi State, a couple of smaller schools. Uh, Georgia Tech came. Of course, my academics were too bad for Georgia Tech. But, yeah, off the bat in the SEC, it was Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi State. Why Tennessee? Um, because – of my uh, my background, man, is I have faced opposition my whole life. And so I kind of gauge people based upon how they dealt with adversity and opposition. And so with my situation coming out of high school, a lot of people didn't think I would make it even when I got offered the scholarships because of my academic situation. And so when Georgia came into the picture, they were like, yeah, man, we'd like you, but you'll probably have to go to military school or prep school because of your grades. And when Tennessee came in, off the bat, Coach Fulman says, son, I believe in you. I think you'll get through this. I think you'll get over this, and I'll see you in the summer. And I said, it's nothing against Mark Rick. I liked him. I still got a relationship with him. But I said, if I'm going to go with anybody, I'm going to go with the person that I felt handled the adversity that I was dealing with at that moment in the right way. Tell us about the uh, brother here, this one. Tell, um, tell us the recruiting story when they were like, hey, let's go out and let's go get something to eat and go out to a party. But you're like, no, I want to go to the hotel. Absolutely. So when uh, when Coach Fulmer extended the scholarship and I accepted, and I'll never forget, he was like, "Ain't you got to come up and see the place. And I was like, no, nah, Coach, I'm cool. I'm coming. He's like, yeah, but I want you to come and see the place, right? Just have fun. And so I accepted, and I went up to town on a Friday night. And so they had the host, and the job of a host is just supposed to make you love the place, right? And so I got this host, and he's showing me around, and I'm like, man, you don't have to do all of this. I'm coming anyway. This is what I'm saying in my head. And he asked me the question. He was like, bro, have you been to a sorority party? And I was like, no, nah, I've never been. He's like, man, they get pretty wild. Like, I'm telling you, we need to go tonight. And I was like, all right, can you take me back to the Marriott? And he was like, yeah, I'll take you to get changed. He just assumed I wanted to go and get changed. And so when we pulled up to the Marriott, and I'm getting out of the car, and I say to him, all right, bro, I'll, I'll catch you tomorrow. He's like, what do you mean you'll catch me tomorrow? I said, 
Or this is the first time I've been in a room with a bed by myself, and it's a king-size bed at that. Right? I said, man, bump that party. I got my own bed, bro. And he, and he was like, you don't have a bed at home? I was like, no, man, I sleep on the floor. Right? And he was like, really? I was like, yeah, man, I'm not worried about a party. I got my own bed. Right? And it, it, and it did. Like, it meant that much to me, right? Because I had never really had my own space like that. Coming up in a two-bedroom home with 14 people, and when I got on this visit, I had my own space. I was like, man, I'm going to just chill up in this room. It's kind of like when, that first day when you show up, it's a test to see all this thrown in your face. How are you going to react? That first night, are you going to go out and throw it all away on that first night? Are you going to stick it out and then let the team let them take you out the next time as a team, as a person who's made it in there? And that, that is, I mean, it's just that, it's those simple commitments. I mean, were you there to go out or just let me get in there and, and see something that I haven't ever seen before? And a lot of guys, I mean, especially with our generation now, guys that have grown up the way you did and a lot of us, some of us did, how do you fix that? How do you go back into those highs? Because you said it's still crime high, man. They took away the sports, which you probably shouldn't do that. Absolutely. There's got to be a way to shift that. And the only way to truly change something is at the kid level. Absolutely. I agree. You know, I think uh, about like the way we grew up and the guy was saying, you can come in and you could change the infrastructure of the neighborhood, right? You could change the houses. You could change like the certain things, the stores, uh, you could put jobs there, but if you don't change the mindset, the people will never change, right? Like they had this saying, one of my roommates, I mean, not my roommate, one of my friends, he was, he was my teammate in cop in uh, high school. He came behind me. And he was a young guy. He was one of my best friends. He still is. I talked to him until his day. But at the time, he was one of my best friends. And I told him when I was going to Tennessee, I said, me coming back to Crim High School, going to Tennessee, is going to open up the door for all of you guys to get a shot to go to college. He was asking me, Inky, why are you coming back? I said, because I believe if I go to college from here, some other coaches will come and you guys will get a shot. Well, it happened. He ended up going to Mississippi State. The year after me, he had way more offers than me. Right. And when he went to Mississippi State, he was there. He was doing well. And I got a call at around two in the morning. Right. And when when I got this call, it was from like the director of football ops. And he said to me, Inky, your boy has messed up. And I said, what did he do? He said he shot at somebody. Right. He said he shot at somebody after a party. They were at the gas station. He had a gun. He shot at him. Right. Shot at some guy. I said, give me a second. I'm going to call him. I called my boy. So what happened? He, the first words he said to me were, well, Ink, you know where we come from. <laughs> and I cut him off. I cut him off. I said, well, you're not where we come from. Like, you're not in Kirkwood. You're not in this neighborhood. You're not at from high school. Right? And our coach would always say something. He would say something to the extent of, sometimes you can take a kid out the hood, but you can't take the hood out of them. And he would say, until you change your mentality and your mindset and learn how to navigate throughout life, you will be in different environments, but you will still make the same decisions and the same choices and carry with you the same spirit. And he says, you have to understand every next level of your life demands a new version of you. And it has to be a certain level of accountability with that. Exactly. It's like, I know where you're from, man, but I thought you wanted to get out of there. I thought that was the whole point. That's why we're here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We're literally giving you an opportunity not to be like that anymore, to start fresh. I mean, we're Absolutely. all these opportunities. You don't need to do that anymore. That's what, that's what that's, that's that gift. Absolutely. I guarantee you after you told him that, he probably reflected on that. He's like, God damn, you're right. Absolutely. That's got to be the problem, man. A lot of times people don't tell them. They don't give it back. They don't reflect Absolutely. back. 
Hey, bud, tell us about the hit and uh, what happened on the field that day. Absolutely. So it was it was September 9th, uh, 2006. It's my junior year at the University of Tennessee. I was a projected uh, top 30 draft pick as a cornerback going into the season. And we were playing against Air Force. Um, great program, discipline program, tough group of guys. And the fourth quarter of the game comes around, two minutes left. And we were looking at just making a couple stops so we could end the game, get out of there. It was a tough game. And the quarterback drops back, and I'm in my coverage. And I'm hoping they throw the ball my way so I can make this tackle and we can just end the game. And when the quarterback drops back, sure enough, he throws the ball to a guy. He catches it coming directly down my sideline. I go to make the tackle. And as soon as I hit the guy, it seemed as if every breath in my body left. And my body went completely limp. I fell to the ground. I blacked out. When I woke up, my teammates were standing over me telling me to get up. Let's go. Let's rock. And I just couldn't move. Right? And there was a shot going from the crown of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I was saying to him, I mean, I can't move. Right? I can't move. And then the doctors came out and they put me on the spine board and they wheeled me up in the ambulance and they got me over to the hospital. And they were just saying, like, I think we're going to run a couple tests, put you in the room. It's protocol. Sure, you'd be good. And after they ran their tests and they brought me back into a room, I'll never forget. My mother comes in and she kisses me. She says a prayer. And she was just like, I think you'll be good. It's football. Right. And as soon as she walked out, the head doctor comes jogging in and he's screaming. And I'll never forget. He said, guys, guys, get in here. We got to rush this kid. It's actually emergency surgery. He's about to die. And I'm looking at him like, man, like, like you can't use another word. Like, yeah, that's pretty heavy, I'm man. He couldn't have delivered that a little differently. Right. I'm thinking, I think he's trying to make the situation more intense, <laughs> right? Because it had been cool up to that point. And he's like, no, I'm like, like, die, die? He's like, yeah, die. I'm like, what happens? Like you rupture, you're subclavian artery in your chest, you're bleeding internally. So we got to rush you back, take the main vein out of your left leg, plug it into your chest in order to save your life. And that night when they went in to repair the artery, that is when they noticed I had torn all the nerves from my spine that controlled my brachial plexus, which were the shoulder, the arm, the hand, the fingers. And I had ripped them all out and they couldn't be replugged. And I had a paralyzed right arm and hand. The next day I woke up and my football career was over. So you, so you actually did tear all the, you did tear the nerves. Absolutely. Oh, Completely damn, rushing. man. Damn. <sighs> yeah. Well, one door closed, another one opens, brother. Absolutely. Let's hear what man. happened afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. So many Absolutely. other, so many, so many, uh, you hear those stories. Too way too often, but you you flipped it. Yeah, that wasn't the end, man. That was the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. Lead us down, lead us down that journey, bud. Yeah, man. It's it's funny that you just said that that it wasn't the end; it was the beginning. Because somebody interviewed my mother. We were we were up in Rochester, Minnesota, because I had to go to the Mayo Clinic, and a reporter asked my mom. I'll never forget it. We're sitting in the lobby, and he was just like. What's up with ink? What's next for him? What are you guys thinking? And my mother said the exact same words that you just said. She said, it's not the end for my son. This is the beginning, right? And to be honest, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing now. I never thought I would be speaking, right? And I went down the path to become a coach. Thought I was going to coach natural transition. And my wife was back in Atlanta teaching at the time. And so I was just going back and forth. And then my wife got pregnant with our daughter, Jada. And at the time she got pregnant with Jada, 
I made the decision to move back to Atlanta. And when I moved back, I was supposed to have a job at the rec center in Kirkwood, like in the exact same neighborhood I grew up in. And the guy that I talked to when I got to Atlanta, I went to see him. God never responded to me. God never answered my email, my call. I took the people, my resume. They said, you're overqualified. I'm like, man, what's that? (laughs) That don't even make sense. Right. I'm like, that's crazy. And so my buddy, Gerard Mayo, he's the linebackers coach for the Patriots. And that's, that's like one of my best friends. And so I was doing a lot of community service at the time. And when I would go, just natural, you know, interaction, people would say, hey, man, what happened to your arm? Right? Because they would see the sleeve. They would see the atrophy. And I would start telling them. And he would always say, man, ain't you need to look into speaking? I was like, man, I don't want to speak. Like, I don't want to do that. And then one day, man, I was just in a place of confusion to where I felt as if everything I had tried didn't work. I felt as if every plan I had for my life, it just didn't work. And I found myself right back two blocks away from where I grew up in the same neighborhood. And I remember just asking myself the question, like, man, you, you went to college, you played ball to come right back two blocks away from where you grew up? Like, you went to get degrees, like you did all of that, and it led you here? And I was just like, man, listen, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I said a prayer, like, and it was simple. I'm like, people are saying I need to speak. Like, Lord, if I'm supposed to speak, man, if it's your will, like, I'll be obedient and let's rock. Right? And I was getting little opportunities here and there, but I wasn't taking it serious. I was just looking at that, just going out to talk. And the next trip I got to Mississippi, a 15-hour round trip, I drove. I got home 2 in the morning. My wife was standing there, and she was like, how did it go? I was like, it was cool. She's like, what you get? I was like, they gave me this coffee mug. <laughs> and she was like, you sure that's what you're supposed to be doing? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, all right, let's go for it. And from that point, moving forward, man, I just view what I do now is my mission and my life's work. You know, outside of just being an orator and speaking, I feel as if my life got spared, and every single day, this is what I put on this earth to do. Your faith is obviously a big part of your life. Uh, I see that in, in a lot of the a lot of stuff that you post, and that's the way the good Lord works too. You said it's not the end; it was the beginning. And then, in order to start the beginning again, you need to go right back to the spot where you started it. I mean, the same thing happened to me when I got out after I got hurt. Went up right back in the spot that I grew up in. Started from there. Wow. Not, not even want, you know, not speaking, just going out and doing it for your buddies or whoever calls you in, and then. Go home, do another one, and do another one, do another one until it turns into something what you're doing now. None of us, yeah, we guys like us don't ever plan to get in, in this realm. But it's funny, our yeah. life kind of directs us. God puts us in that path and then closes every door around us. You know, even as kids, we're like, parents tell you to do something. Like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's what you want me to do. I don't want to do that. It's like, well, I'll let you do what you want to do the first part of this. And you took it as far as you could, all the way up till you broke yourself. Good job. Absolutely. You can't take it any further than that. <laughs> and then when you sit back, you're like, oh, all right. And it takes a little while to recondense yourself to just take everything you've learned and, and use it in this way, as opposed to take everything we've learned and use it with our physical form, right? That's how we got out of where we were Absolutely. at. You know, Mojo and I, same thing. Sleep, start the, the lowest, I guess you can get is sleeping on the floor. 
But we had the best time doing that, though. I remember. I, I, I was. I never. I never thought it was bad. Yeah, we. Yeah, we. We had to live with our grandfather. We had to live with our granddaddy, and we had to sleep. We slept on the floor, half in, half out of a suitcase. Absolutely. Because when we get into into college and in the military, or hell, we grew up with. We still got the same friends we've always had. We had one of those big beds. But we were always in it, all of us, at the same time. Like, we don't have one. We're always sleeping together. <laughs> oh, hey, that reminds me. I meant to ask you that question, and I, and I, almost, I almost bet the answer to this question is yes. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But tell me, I know that both them babies sleep in the bed with you and the wife. Is that yeah, you, got, right. you got the whole family in there with you? Or you, you make them sleep in their own room? No, no. Some nights they're in there with us. And some nights, you know, they got to sleep in their own bed. Oh, you know? But some nights... We get up the whole family and then chill out. <laughs> I could see he's like, nah, I had, to, I had to do this my whole life. You guys got to sleep in your room. And I was like, nah, he wouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> I them, them babies in there just racked out. Right. Absolutely. Bro, I got, when I got out, I went back home too. Yeah, I was sleeping cool. in a chair until the day I met my wife. And then we, we, you know, you live your life and you kind of collect it and you get to the spot where you can build your home. We're the same thing. My wife and I have our bedroom. The kids have theirs. We've got the living room. All this space. I got a blow-up mattress sitting in front yeah. of my bed where the kids sleep. Dogs in there. I mean, it's kind of like, well, why don't we just build this room? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. It's crazy how life flips and works, man. It's wild, man. That's a very true statement. Hey, with your injury, mm-hmm. have they told you that they need to take – take your arm or or is that just a decision that you made to keep it or i was always i was, mm-hmm. I was curious because I'm, I'm in the medical space you know and I, and, I, and I see trauma with veterans and whatnot and a lot of guys that have you know they s- severe injuries like yours nine times out of ten years later they'll, they'll take they'll take the limb have they talked to you about taking that yeah they they hadn't like when it when it first happened i know they were discussing it and uh, when they were discussing it, they were talking about just different options and how they may have to amputate it. And they were going to try like this nerve graft up at the Mayo Clinic. And uh, they asked me where I cool, was I cool with it. And they said with this nerve graft deal, they wouldn't know how much feeling of movement I would get back, if any. It was really just a test that they would put this graft in and see what would happen over a few years. And when they put it in, you know, some filling came back. And in terms of movement, uh, not much movement came back. And they didn't see much after that. Like, I still see the doctors sometimes at the University of Tennessee. And nobody really talks about it that much. They talk to me sometimes about some stem cell stuff and things of that nature. But, you know, I do think about it from time to time in terms of, you know, what will manifest and what will happen and what does the future look like. And so I try to kind of prepare myself mentally uh, for whichever way the wind blows. We had a we had a young lady on the show with us named Victoria Arlen. Have you ever heard of her? I haven't. ESPN commentator. Yeah, she's a yeah yeah she's a X Games commentator. She de- when she was nine, she developed a brain and a spinal cord disease that put her in a vegetative state for four years. And when she came out, she was paralyzed oh. from the waist down for another. four eight years didn't have did not have the use from her waist down for eight years and found a place in california and for whatever reason the name escapes me right now and these doctors worked with her she still cannot feel anything from the waist down she can't feel her legs but she was on dancing with the stars ran the boston marathon and they just gave her the muscle function back 
Wow. I, when I when I heard your when I heard your story for the first time, and then we talked to Victoria, I was just kind of putting those two together. Um, I'll get the information from from Andrew, and I'll send that over to you. I'm in the yeah, belief, but I'm in that. the belief, buddy. Just anything's worth a shot, right? Absolutely, I'm with you. Absolutely, man. I would appreciate that. Yeah, I just yeah. Why don't you want dancing with just the stars? That's right. Connecting the dots, and never. I mean, you've got one of the greatest never give up attitudes I've ever seen. So yeah, hey, you're the guy putting that, that RoboCop frame. You know what I'm talking about? You, you got to have that special <laughs> attitude. Just overall, man, I don't care what happens. I'm going to get it done. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> past that long, it's intoxicating. I mean, we're talking about going back to the to the to where you came from, passing that along. Because you started there. You look where you, you, I mean, you went someplace no one thought you would make it. Then you got pushed back there like like you didn't belong there. And then you went, and then you shotgun past it. Good Lord, we're all, we've all done something in our own, I mean, uh, you're, our own you're, fields. You're really, here you're really living proof that. No matter what adversity, where you come from, what you do, it's it's on you. you ever have, I'm sure you had the opportunity to go back to Cram and talk to those kids and say, "Hey, hey, I'm from here." Absolutely. They are they receptive Absolutely. to that? Is that? Um... Yeah, they are. They are, man. And it's 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 something that's fulfilling uh, to me because you know I, I believe, like you just said, man, the thing that we all have in common as people, no matter where we come from, no matter where we're born at, born to. You know, we're all going to strike adversity at some point, and we're all going to come up against that battle at some point. And so a lot of the kids that crim, because they grew up in certain circumstances, sometimes it's a language that they speak with based upon the situations and the circumstances. They feel as if they're defeated. They feel as if they're behind. You know how it is. Cats come out, and they start talking, and the first thing they'll give you is excuses of why they can't do this. Right. And I'm a firm believer in, man, if you want something like put yourself in position, do everything in your power to try to conquer it. And if it doesn't happen, you don't have to live with the regret of, OK, I didn't give everything I had to it. Right. So it didn't happen. And so even coming from Krim, when I speak to him, it's like, man, eliminate the excuse of your home life. Eliminate the excuse of your neighborhood. Eliminate the excuse of this school, because there's plenty of people across the world that's done more with less. Right, that's done more with much far worse circumstances. Right, that's went out and got it done. And so making them understand, like, man, cut the crap. Like, let's go. Right, and if it doesn't happen, cool. But don't let something not happen in the manifest be because you didn't take accountability and responsibility for your life, and more so get out and try to work to make it happen. Yeah, because you grow up in that in that environment. That's you got to grow up with a warrior mentality in the beginning, and you need to look at it like we're all born into a battle. Like if you're born on the rich side or the poor side, and then as you go through this, you don't even have to throw a punch. Matter of fact, all you have to do is you think if the environment's so bad at home and in the, in the block, when you would go to school, when you're just around the kids, it wouldn't be like that. You wouldn't want to bring that in there. It would just be, this is the one place you can go where there's no violence. And then if you look at it as that, the first part of your life is, is the battle. In order to get through that battle and get out of that battlefield, you need to win. You need to put it, put put the time in to work. This, this is kind of what you got to do. And those that don't want to go in there and stick that part out, that's why they get stuck in that battlefield. Even with the, you got I kids agree. who are born into money. When it seems the parents are gone and they go outside of the house, they got to go into the bad, into start at the beginning. You know, like kind of in the bad parts of town, or if you want to call it that, it doesn't have to be a bad part of town. Money has nothing to do with it. It's just choose whether you're not Absolutely. to be good or bad. That's a choice. Uh, and when you kind of meet sure. in the middle there, when you get punted out of the house, if you come from the poor area or, or from the rich area at college. And right after that's kind of the melting pot. And then you, 
you put the work in. It's always a battle. Every day is kind of a struggle because we're all out here working for the same thing, trying to provide for ourselves, hopefully for each other, through each other. I mean, if, for instance, like if you got some of your buddies like me and Mojo and a couple other guys that go into go with you back to your high school, a lot of times when you bring outsiders into the into the neighborhood, you're like, man, you didn't grow up here. You know what it's like. That's that's mm-hmm. the excuse. Like, yeah, I know I didn't grow up here. Absolutely. I grew up on another battle side, you know, doing the same thing. I'm trying to tell you that it doesn't matter where you're from. It's still going to be tough. You're going to have some adversity. You can either do it in the first part or in the back part or through the whole part if you're not paying attention. Yeah. But it, those little mm-hmm. adversities and those life tests are sh- show you a multitude of things. You shouldn't, you don't shy away from them. And I mean, sometimes yeah. the only time I could ever think where somebody does something that's so painful where they want to go back into it a second time and is, is our women when they have kids. You know, a dude gets his ass whipped that bad. We would never want to do that again. You know what I'm talking about? If I had to go through that much pain for 19 hours, I was like, I am never doing that again, ever. And a, and a woman, a couple months later, like, hey, let's do that again. I'm like, you sure, man? Like, I, all right, right, cool, man. And it's the same thing with anything, a bad fight. I mean, any of that. You get in a fight with your crew in high school with each other, you wind up being best friends afterwards. That's the way it always was when we were growing up. That's how you learn how to live with each other. If you don't get along, that settles it that way. Well, you definitely don't kill each other. No, that's, that's so true, man. You know, the crazy thing is just about what you just said, right, about people that come from different sides of town. The coach that helped me, basically that changed my life, that stopped in the street in front of my house, it's the first white guy I ever met in my neighborhood, right? He was just dropping a kid home after practice two blocks over, which he eventually started doing with me and my three younger cousins. But... Once he stopped in that street and he was just like, man, I think I got a program that can help these kids. And then my mother met him, trusted him. But we would soon find out he, he was paying for kids all across Atlanta. He was paying for kids all across different sides of town, different sides of neighborhood, like from all over. But he challenged all of us the same way, regardless of where our parents were, where we were living. He dealt with every single one of us the same way, the accountability, right? He would come up, chew us out. And it changed our life. And the thing that I never said was, well, man, he come from the other side of town. He can't understand me. No, he was showing me with his actions, with his sacrifice. It wasn't about that. It was about, I was looking at a man every single day that was willing to put it on the line for me. And so it made me honor and respect that and go hard, not just in sports, in every aspect of my life to try to make this person proud. That, that's why sports are around. That's why we have them and enjoy them so much. I mean, just think about if we settled all our wars through our sports. I mean, it's the one thing. It doesn't matter where you're from, what house you live in, who your parents are, because they're not there. And, and you put all, and matter of fact, you get to throw a uniform on so you all look the same. I mean, if your head's poking out and your hand's poking out, you throw gloves and a hat on that anyways, right? And it's basically, right. we're all in there learning this environment and, and this game, going against each other. And it doesn't matter where you're from, because at any given time, the, the lead can change. And that's how you learn how to, to, to live with each other if you can appreciate that kind of competition with each other. It's, it's borderline all the way to, to violence, and sometimes it is in football, and then the other sports for, the, for, for kids who don't want to take it that far. But the guys who get in those combat sports as a team, they're a lot closer than someone who is not because they got to take pain with each other. And that's kind of what allows – I mean, you get so, – growing up, we always hang out, hung out together. It, the – White kids, but it didn't matter where you're from. We just, you had a friend in every neighborhood, so we'd always wind up in every neighborhood. I hear some guys, you know, after sports, be like, hey, don't come in here uh, without me. Mm. You know, don't, don't roll in here by yourself. Well, if you're telling us that, then we're not going to come in there. 
And that, right. it's, 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 it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, hey, man, I want to come in here and hang out and do all this stuff and show you how we live on this side. But ultimately, you're like, hey, don't come here. It's too damn dangerous. Like, well, it's only dangerous right. if you're not dangerous enough to be in there. And some people are, mm. you know, they're scared of something, what they hear. But it, it, if it was that bad, then there wouldn't be people living back there. You know what I'm talking about? It's just, it just, we all grew up on a spot of land and had this one thing, and the common place is that schoolhouse. It's the one place where there shouldn't be violence or people screaming at each other. And that's just the parents, you know, coming. Every kid's defense is what he sees his parents do, and that's, that's just the way that is in the beginning. I mean, you don't even know what you are, first part of this. We don't yeah. grow up fast. We just get big fast. So, I mean, sports, instead of getting rid of those in the school, you should put more of them in there. Because if you got some downtime, idle hands, or the devil's work for a child, what do they say? The most dangerous thing on this planet is an undisciplined human mind. Man, that's real. Man, that is real. What uh, what do you got going on now, Inky? Yeah, yeah. so uh, traveling, of course, uh, speaking. But me and my wife, um, you know, we created a foundation here in Atlanta of which we do work through uh, with the Atlanta Mission. And so what Atlanta Mission is, we do work with homeless in Atlanta. And also we're, we're partnered with a program that's combating youth poverty in Atlanta. So it's over 200,000 kids living in poverty here in Atlanta. And because both of us grew up that way, just trying to create programming and different resources to help these kids and these families. Also doing things with our foundation, with Atlanta Mission, with the homeless. And it's a transitional program. So we go in and we do work. And most of the parents have a job. And you got the kids and the young adults. And you go in and just work with them. You take clothes into their closets. Uh, you go in, you feed them. You know, around the holidays, we do different events do back-to-school giveaways and things of that nature, and just trying to get more so outside of serving a part of the programming, trying to get the people we're connected to as well to just serve, man, because I believe at the end of the day, you know, we're just trying to be decent humans, right, and add to our legacy and be a blessing to somebody. And so just trying to do that. Yep. How do we, uh, how do we find you? What can we, what, what can we plug for you? Absolutely. So uh, we got a Facebook page, uh, just Inky and Allison Johnson Foundation. Uh, because of a lot of a lot of the work we do is in the shelters, we can't post a lot of it um, because of the people that are there, you know, with pictures and things of that nature. But just the Inky and Allison Johnson Foundation, or if you know one of the listeners want to come through Atlanta, or if they come through Atlanta and they want to swing by the Atlanta Mission, man, feel free. You know, it's a pretty cool place. If you're coming through and you got something that you can drop off there, whatever it may be, whether it be some clothing, uh, whether it be some food, whatever the case may be, you can feel free to drop it off there and the resources to get sent to the right cause. Buddy, I can't even thank you enough for taking the time to share your story with us, and we're sure going to put it out there because it's an amazing one. Oh, man, I appreciate you guys and just the opportunity, man. You know, it means a lot to me. I truly hope one day we can meet meet each other face to face. So, oh yeah, we're gonna do that. We get to Atlanta all the time. I would love that, man. I would love it. All right, buddy, we let you go. We appreciate it. Oh man, I, I appreciate you guys, man. And it's always blessing to you all and your family. And thank you guys so much again, man. It was an honor. I enjoyed this. I'm up out out here, buddy. All right, fellas, all the best. True to form. Amazing, amazing guy. I mean, like, I, I felt like a better human being because I got a chance to talk to that guy. 
And we didn't even get to get into the weeds with him, really. Seriously, if you ever get to sit down, pull up Inky Johnson on YouTube and watch his stuff. I mean, it is, it'll get you down in, inside in, in, your, in your heart. Man, just goes to show you, it doesn't matter where you're from. We all want something better. And the willingness to stay in there and don't let anybody tell you that, that you can't do it. Anybody that's preaching that at you and telling you need to do something else, that's just, man, because they don't want to be alone in that misery. And that man works so hard. He goes into detail in some of his, his videos, what he had to do along the way to get to where he was. And he was there. He was going in NFL. And boom, all taken away from him. Like it happens to so many people. And man, he never missed stride. He never came off the corner. I just kept hitting it. Well, it's because he just wasn't a football player. That was just something he was doing at that particular time and age, man. And then what was inside of him was a lot greater. He That's realized like he was he was he wasn't just a football player. Yeah, because everything it takes to become that and those, those athletes that they are is could could dominate in any realm. Yeah, that yeah. If they put that drive and, and determination into anything, anything. else, like, just like they do, like they do football, they conquer the planet. Anything. That mentality of mental that and exact physical. mentality is what every Fortune 500 company is looking for. Yep. Period. If you have what it takes to play sports and at that, at that college level and, and even going to the pros, and I mean at any any any, any level, Division One, Two, or if you have the ability to stay on a team and function like that, then you can. And he kept saying, he said a couple times, like I wasn't good at academics. You know, I was like, buddy, I I, I didn't want to say anything. But I, I wanted like, I was like, you could be great in academics if you if you had the passion that you did for running that corner in your books you'd be the same way yeah, what are you talking about you're not good at academics man you're a living academic yeah that's what i'm talking about everyone reads and gets real good at the performance of what you're doing they're studying what you're doing and they can if someone can just because somebody can tell you what you're doing and that thinks that you're they're smarter than you man you act not only if you just can't explain it, that's no big deal you're actually doing it Never forget that. He must have figured it out. He got his master's degree in psychology. Sports psychology. So, I mean, he... Yeah. Just no, figured no, out yeah. How, he, how he works. From Tennessee. Yeah, that's all that is. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to look at that. If Whatever it is, the ability to explain it is kind of the, the academic part of it. Yeah. And, and if you're... I mean, if anybody, any of our listeners out there looking for somebody to come talk to their, their kids, their school, their business... You will not be disappointed. Yeah, his Instagram handle is Inky Johnson Motivate, and um, yeah, go follow him. He's he seems like he's got a lot of great stuff going on. Humble Inky Johnson, make me a winner. <laughs> Thanks again, Inky, for being on. It was a blast, man. Absolutely I enjoyed it. If you want to be the first one to know when we drop a new episode, then you need to make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can press the purple subscribe button on Apple Podcast or any other major podcast player to be notified the moment we release a new episode. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much any other podcast player available. We've got a ton of great episodes and had some incredible guests along the way, including Chris Cassidy, Mr. Wim Hof, and Mike Ritlin. If you're already following us on Facebook and Instagram, you know we keep our followers up to date with new gear, new sales, new guests, new events, and tons of other stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. If you aren't following us yet, you're missing out. Follow us right now at team underscore never quit. You can keep up with Marcus at Marcus Latrell, Morgan at Mojo Latrell, and me at Andrew Brockenbush on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in to another episode. It's been a blast. <laughs>